I can't tell you how good it is to be back together with you folks this morning. It's so nice to be here and uh, to be together. Uh, really, uh, I feel like I need to apologize for just like dropping off the grid for a while. But uh, I got real sick real fast and uh, spent uh, a week in ICU in the hospital. And there was a uh, 36-hour period there where uh, the lead doctor told my wife and our kids, uh, you know, your husband might not make it through this for 36 hours. So uh, it was a terrible experience, but I've, even worse for my wife, right, who's now left kind of in limbo. Uh, and the backstory of all of that is that she's been on my case to make plans, you know, for when you do die and get a will done and get a plot and, you know, be ready so that I'm not left holding the bag, you know, kind of thing for all that kind of stuff. And so now this is like the Lord is like, come on, Dave, it's time to do that kind of stuff. So anyway, I want to thank all of you who prayed for us. And uh, it, it was the kind of thing that really you felt like only the Lord pulled you through. Nobody knows why uh, after it's all said and done and uh, so on. But we really felt embraced by the people in this church. Thank you for all the notes, for all the expressions of love, and uh, especially for all the prayers. We did. We felt very embraced. So now, uh, on the other side of that whole experience, uh, I'm asking the question, why? How do you make sense of what happened? And uh, I'm asking that question, why? Why, Lord, did you allow this to happen to me? Uh, what am I supposed to learn from this? What's the lesson that I'm supposed to come away with? Please help me to understand what you're doing in my life by allowing uh, me to come right up close to the edge. What am I supposed to get that I still don't get? You ever do that? Ask the question, Why? You ever have something tough happen in your life and find yourself for a while afterwards, you keep asking, why? Why did this, how do I make sense of this? How do I interpret what's going on in my life? How do I discern what the Lord uh, is up to? And uh, it seems to me uh, that over this past year, anybody associated with Ridgefield Baptist Church has probably asked that question, why? many, many times over this past year. And um, when we do that, uh, when we ask the why question, usually when I uh, need the Lord to speak to me or ask him to speak to me and explain, you know, kind of things that I don't understand, uh, the Lord usually does it for me through Scripture. Uh, certain passages of Scripture kind of bubble to the surface, and I end up kind of focused on a couple of uh, those Scriptures and for me, at this point in time anyway, after the whole hospital thing, I was really foggy. I felt like, uh, uh, I felt like the world was happening, but I couldn't get on board. You ever have that experience? Somebody told me, uh, it's just like being high. <laughs> no, I don't know. But I was like totally out of it. You can talk to my wife. She's like, who are you? You know, kind of thing. Because I, I don't know whether it was the drugs that I got in the ICU or whatever, but uh, I couldn't get on board, and, and it was very frustrating because I couldn't do anything about it. I'd talk to myself, I'd pray about it, and I just, the whole world was going on, but I just could not catch up. I, I couldn't get on board. And so 
I turn to the scriptures and um, try to fill my mind with those things. And both, so two scriptures bubble to the surface, and I thought I would just share them with you this morning. I know we have this uh, service of reflection afterwards, and so I thought I would uh, sort of uh, prep us for that or just share these couple of scriptures to create a context. And uh, both of these scriptures come from the Apostle Paul. <laughs> and the Apostle Paul is such a great example to follow, right? Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, he, he just experienced it all, and I would say to you, arguably, uh, that the Apostle Paul is probably the best disciple of Jesus that ever existed. Um, you know, he wrote 13 of the New Testament books. Uh, he's had a brilliant mind. But, you know, the Apostle Paul had many hard things come into his life. In fact, uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, he sort of uh, creates a little catalog of some of these uh, experiences, some of these hardships that he went through. And uh, beginning in verse 23, uh, Paul is, you know, uh, the people in the Corinthian church allowed themselves to be influenced by some false teachers. And they're talking about how great they are and, you know, trying to lure the people away from Paul and the gospel and Paul's teaching. And so Paul is going at that, and in the process of uh, doing that, he says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. And then he starts with this catalog. He says, uh, you know, I know I'm talking like a madman, uh, but I've got far greater labors, I've got far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. And that's the phrase that got a hold of me, often near death, Paul was. Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day adrift at sea, uh, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from all of that, the daily pressures of the churches that I care about, that are my responsibility. Now, this is the great Apostle Paul, arguably, right, the best disciple Jesus ever made. And here he is with this sort of uh, catalog of um, different hard, tough experiences uh, that came into his life. Uh, so several times where he almost died. And uh, all through this, I challenge you to find a place in the scriptures where the Apostle Paul becomes less than optimistic, less than faithful, less than hopeful through all of these troubles and trials that came into his life. He always stays faithful. He always stays optimistic. you know, And he's always... Uh, moving forward. And I would suggest to you in 2 Corinthians 4 and verses 7 to 9, um, we have uh, kind of an insight into how Paul processed all of these things. Uh, here's what he said in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. We have this treasure, we Christians, have this treasure, the gospel, reconciliation with God, justification, our salvation, we have this treasure, Paul says, in jars of clay. We have this treasure in this life, in this body, in jars of clay. 
So we're like these people who, you know, uh, we're like a cardboard box with a very, very valuable gem on the inside. You know? He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show so that the rest of the world can watch us and know that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. It's not because we're great. It's not because we're strong. It's not because we're brilliant. It's not because of anything that we bring. We're the box. We're the jar of clay, right? And we have this treasure so that people can understand what we have is of God, not of us. Okay? We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Okay? We're perplexed, but not in despair. He says, um, we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest through our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. How do I make sense of it all? How do I make sense that God allows these different tough experiences to come into our life? Well, uh, Paul's attitudes, I think, or Paul's understanding of the things that happened to him um, trace back to his convictions. A conviction is a deeply held belief. A deeply held belief or a um, deeply held certainty. His core convictions motivated his life or controlled his life, if you will, including his reaction to the harsh things that life throws at us. And um, these two passages that I'd like to share with you this morning are both expressions, I think, of Paul's uh, deeply held convictions that uh, enabled him to respond to life's toughest stuff uh, throughout his life and still be optimistic and still be faithful and uh, move forward. So in Romans chapter 8, you're probably familiar with Romans chapter 8, um, uh, but the Apostle Paul says, beginning in the 35th verse, who could separate us from the love of God? Here's a core conviction of every Christian. God loves me. God loves me. How do I start? Where do I start? Start here. This is the foundational conviction for all of Christianity. If we say, what's behind the gospel? Well, what's behind the gospel is a father, a creator, our maker, the one who gives us breath every day, who loves us, who's committed to us, um, who loves us. And he says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, seven things that have the potential to distract us from the fact that God who created us loves us, wants us with him for eternity, doesn't want to lose anybody that he created, he says here in the scriptures. But notice this theme that the Apostle Paul pulls up from the Psalms. He says, for your sake, we're being killed all day long. 
People watch us when these kinds of things happen to us. And Paul says, for your sake, for Jesus' sake, it feels like we're being killed every day. Uh, We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But, verse uh, 37, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us, through God who is committed to us and who loves us. God so loved the world, right, including us, that he gave his only begotten son, right, that whosoever would believe in him and put their trust in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loves us. And Paul says, you know what? Uh, uh, What can separate us from that love? Um, What can separate us from the Father's love? Now, I just want to ask the question. I want to pause here a second and just kind of ask the question, uh, do you know that you're loved by God? Okay, and in an experiential sense. I know we know this academically. I know we all have this, and yeah, of course, John 3.16, we all know that. You know, and yes, God loves me, it's academic. But do we experience the love of God? Do we contemplate? What are the consequences in my life of the fact that the God of the universe loves me, knows my name, knows how many hairs are on my head? How does that play out in my life? What do I, when you're uh, in the ICU, I was in the ICU, the six surgeons in the room, you know, and they're going to put this line in and put that line in, and you're just laying there helpless like, you know. Um, when you turn to this father who loves you, who's the great physician, it makes a difference to be in it with him. Do we know his love? Do we meditate on it? Uh, is it more than just academic? Do we feel love? Paul lists seven things here that have the potential to take that love away from us or to distract us, I like to think, distract us from his love for us. And then he says, you know what? In all of these things, we're more than conquerors. He says, no, don't let those things distract you from the core conviction of God's love for you. Don't let those things uh, distract you. We're more than conquerors. And then he goes on, he lists 10 more things that Satan throws at us that would make us question God's love for us. Now, the word, the Greek word here for this word conqueror um, is hyperniomen. Hyperniomen. In the middle of that word is uh, N-I-K, right? N-I-K-E. Nike is the word for victor. And there's a company that's made a lot of money over being conquerors. The word literally means overcomer. Overcomer. And Paul says, yeah, all of these horrible things come at us and happen to us, but in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. We overcome. And uh, on the beginning of that word uh, is the word hyper. And hyper is hyper. We know what that means, right? It means over the top. It means, you know, somebody who isn't just a conqueror over one thing, but is ongoing, conquering whatever comes their way. Uh, And notice what he says. Uh, All of these things were more than conquerors, Through him who loved us. How do we conquer these things? Do we do it by being strong? Do we do it by bucking up? Or do we do it by surrendering to the one who loves us and trusting him uh, in spite of how we might think? And notice that this whole passage here that Paul brings up is about God's love for us. It's not about our love for him. 
What do we do when our love for him cools off? This is about God's love for us. There's nothing that can happen to you. Paul goes on and he says here, uh, I am sure, sounds like a conviction, doesn't it? I am sure, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of our Father who's in heaven. But what about our love for him? What happens when our love for him starts to cool off? How do I get uh, this conviction um, that I am convinced of, at least academically, that uh, how, how do I um, get back my love for him? How do I increase my love for him? How, is there some way by which God allows these tough things to happen so that we come out the other end with a renewed and increased amount of love for God? in response to his love for us. You notice in the passage we read this morning from 1 John, it says this, we love, why? Because he first loves us. God always goes first. God loves first, and that's the one thing we can count. It's the convictions, the bedrock upon which we build everything else. God loves us, and it's a wonderful thing. And so how do I take my conviction about God's love for me and allow it to influence me to increase my love for him. And uh, I think we have a clue in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 10 and verse 5. Uh, here's one way the Apostle Paul did it, I think. He, just said, he said this, um, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought that comes into our mind and subject it to what we know about what God has revealed to us, especially through Christ. Now, somebody estimated, I read in preparing for this morning, somebody estimated that there are about 4,500 thoughts that pass through our minds every day. That's a lot of different thoughts. Come at us from all directions, right? The media, TV, friends, spouse, kids. All these thoughts are keep going... Paul says, here's, here's how I do this. I, I take every thought and I subject it, right, to, um, to what I know God has revealed to me. How do I get my convictions to actually transform my life? Well, you know, again, Paul in uh, Romans 12 says, uh, we are transformed. You can change your life by changing your mind. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. If there's something in your life you really don't like and you really want to change it, change the way you think about it. Take however you think about it and subject it to what Christ has revealed uh, about uh, himself. Uh, We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Uh, This past week uh, marked the anniversary of my dad's passing. And so... um, my dad had his own business, uh, excavation, and so I worked with him a lot in my formative years. Even when I was little, he would take me with him and so on and so forth. So we were pretty close. So when he died, I had this thought that I'm not going to be able to talk to my dad anymore. And it really made me sad. I mean, it put a, 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 my countenance was just like bummed out. And uh, I kept saying it over, and then things would happen, even like, maybe two years out from his passing, something would happen. I'd be like, I gotta call dad and tell him what happened, you know, and I'm still thinking like that. And then one day it was like the Holy Spirit broke through and said, you'll talk to your dad again. 
Haven't you read in the Bible where we'll know each other in heaven and for eternity? And it changed my whole countenance, if you will. It just changed like, oh, yeah. All I have to do is remember so that when I get to heaven, I can tell them what happened, you know, kind of thing. Um, so I'm, I'm saying that, that we're transformed or changed by the renewing of our mind. And Paul says in the verse before this, he says, uh, for even though we walk in the flesh, we don't wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to pull down strongholds. I would venture to say that if we were to go around to each of us this morning and talk, we could find strongholds of thought that have been with you for years and years and years, maybe instilled by your parents, maybe instilled by a teacher, maybe a friend, uh, thoughts that you have held on to that when you read the Bible are challenged. And Paul says the way we take our convictions and have them actually influence our lives is we recognize we have divine power to pull down these strongholds and subject them to the word of God and to the truth of God. And uh, sometimes I think, you know, uh, we just have to be willing. Um, I've had many conversations over the years with people who have believed certain things about God and I'd be like, where on earth did you ever get that idea about God? And they've been a stronghold that, well, my mother taught me. Or, you know what? I went to this church. And this church taught me that this was the truth. And maybe it was unbalanced. And look what's happening in all the churches in the New Testament. How there's constantly this battle between truth and lies. And so, um, and, and you know this uh, passage as well, right? Um, this is in Philippians. Uh, the Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Do you realize your thoughts are a choice? We get to choose what we think. It's kind of neat. I think most people sort of think, you know, well, I just think what I think. And I don't spend much time thinking about where did these thoughts come from? And what if they're a stronghold of lies that's kind of keeping us away from the blessings that God wants to give us? And so God loves us, you know? Um, and you can't take that away. Nothing that can happen will make that ever be untrue. Uh, someone uh, said it like this, and I thought this was pretty good. He said, I've learned to talk to myself, not to listen to myself. He said, when I listen to myself, I hear excuses. You know, I hear reasoning, human reasoning about this and that and the other thing. But when I talk to myself as a Christian who is loved by the creator of the universe, and I begin to talk to myself with the truth that I've been able to acquire with the help of the Holy Spirit, uh, it's a whole different thing that happens in my life. I've learned to talk to myself and not just listen to myself. And when I talk to myself uh, as someone loved by God, uh, encouragement, uh, promises about the future, wisdom for living in the present and so forth, and that's how Paul allowed his convictions to influence uh, his life, right? Right? Okay, that's my first passage. Second passage, let's check this. 
Second passage comes from Philippians chapter 3. Oh, we're good. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, and uh, this too is a passage that uh, just has uh, sort of bubbled up for me. Um, and uh, Philippians 3, Paul is talking about his own personal growth. Paul is sort of evaluating himself and where he's at in his relationship with the Lord and, and what stage he's at in his life and so forth. And he sort of states that his ultimate goal is uh, reaching his heavenly home. But in the meantime, Paul is well aware that God's plan for his life and for all of our lives is that we would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. If we go back to Romans 8, we could see that just preceding God's love for us, uh, Paul talks about the fact that God has put a lot of effort into our lives, right? Uh, He calls us, he justifies us, he predestines us, and so forth. And it all adds up to so that you and I can be like Jesus, so that God can have lots of sons and daughters in heaven for eternity who are like his perfect son. And so the purpose of life, one of the major purposes of life, right, is that we would be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And so uh, Paul states his goal in verse 10, I think, um, of this passage. And he says, uh, I really want to know him, and I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to share in his sufferings. There's that theme again. There's a purpose in our suffering. And uh, I want to share in his suffering. Um, And then he says, uh, I press on uh, to make this my own. Uh, I want to share in his suffering so that I can share in his resurrection, becoming like him in his death, so that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. You know, the gift of eternal life is huge. You ever think about this? The only people on the planet today are Christians. The only people on the planet who have a guaranteed future are Christians. God has given us promises about eternity that only we have. That's huge. The promise of eternity. And so um, I think that's important to kind of note in, in this context. Then he says, Paul says, not that I've already obtained it. I'm not like Christ yet. Um, and I haven't been resurrected yet, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's what we just sang, that song. He has made me his own. Uh, probably comes right from here. You might remember the old one. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. You know, and Paul says, God has made me his own. And then he says, and here's the passage that uh, bubbles up for me. Um, Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own yet, but one thing I do. Now, I love it when the Bible says one thing I do, right? It's like, what? What's the one thing? You know, because that's a thick Bible, right? There's a lot of things to think about and to do, right? Paul's like, ah, this one thing I do in my growth, in my own personal growth, how, how, one thing, all right, what is it, Paul, what is it? This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. I strain toward what lies in the future. Forgetting what lies behind. This one thing I do, Paul says. Forgetting what lies behind and straining toward grabbing a hold of the future. Uh, I think Paul contemplated his past. I think he thought about his past a little bit. And uh, maybe he remembered, uh, in thinking about his past, what we know from the scriptures, that he persecuted the church. 
Remember? Uh, when the church first got going, Paul was this Pharisee, and he was upset about what was happening to Judaism and this rift that was developing in Judaism, and he went around trying to capture Christians, get them killed. He was standing next to Stephen, the first uh, Christian martyr, while he was uh, stoned to death. And uh, maybe Paul was thinking about that, and he said, you know, this one thing I do, I just want to forget the past, Right? Maybe Paul was thinking about uh, himself and thinking about the past and what he had given himself to in the past before he was converted, before he met Jesus. Uh, you know, Paul was an accomplished Pharisee. He says right in this passage, if you have your Bibles out, starting in verse 4, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Paul says, I'm a pretty good guy here, man. I'm one of the good guys. He says, if anybody thinks they have more reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's like, I'm quite the guy. Paul says, this one thing I do. You know what he says? If you keep reading, he says, I consider all that rubbish compared to the value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You know, uh, Paul says, uh, maybe in thinking about the past, maybe he was thinking about his accomplishments. Maybe he was thinking, you know, I've done, I've done quite a bit. I've planted a bunch of churches. I've done these journeys. I've suffered through all this stuff. I've led these people to Jesus. I've helped set up leadership in churches so that they can thrive and, and do God's will and so forth. And, you know, I've done quite a bit in the past. This one thing I do, he says, forget the past. Forget the past. The past doesn't matter. And then he says the second part of this is, I forget the past, but I strain toward the future. Now let's ask ourselves a question here. You know, Would you say that your thought life is focused more on the past or the future? It's much easier to think about the past because we're familiar with it. We know it. We lived it. We experienced it. The future is a little different. We have to depend on what our Father has revealed to us and trust him to actually put confidence in what's going to happen to us in the future. This one thing I do, Paul says, I forget the past and I grab hold of the future. Paul's trying to say, minimize the influence of the past. Don't allow the past to limit our future. And uh, I, I thought, do you remember Lot's wife? Remember the angel said to Lot and his wife, don't look back. And Mrs. Lot looked back. And she turned into a pillar of salt. And so uh, Paul realized, I think, that his mistakes, his failures, his sins are not going to limit his future. He's been forgiven. That's what the cross was all about. He knows that God is for him, not against him. Uh, it's all been dealt with on the cross. And neither should successes distract us from what God has for us in the future. Um, how huge is it that we know our future, that we have a guaranteed future? And in the meantime, Paul says, this uh, next verse of 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says, let those who are mature think like this. Follow my example. I press on for the prize. What's the prize in the Christian life? I press on for the prize, and Paul describes the prize as the upward call of God. Now that's now, and it's future. 
right? The upward call of God. We're called to be godly. We're called to be like our Father who loves us and created us to be like him. We're made in his image and his likeness. And I just translate that uh, as Paul saying, I strain to the future to grab a hold of that for which God grabbed a hold of me. I strain to grab a hold of that for which God grabbed a hold of me. Um, And it is a strain, right? Uh, I want to grab a hold of what God grabbed a hold of me for. Um, Over the years, um, I've encountered people uh, who've gotten stuck in the past. Some people are stuck because, you know, some decision they made in the past that was a bad decision. I don't know how many people I've talked to, you know, I married the wrong person, right? I made this terrible decision in the past and now I'm stuck with it and poor me. Uh, I bought this piece of property and the value went down. I invested in this company that my friend was running and I lost all my money and, you know, and on and on and on. Stuck in the past, stuck in the past. And there's, all, and there's other people who are very successful, you know, and they sort of checked out of life now. And all they can talk about is the good old days when, you know, I was the president of this company and, you know, and I was unfairly treated and they threw me out and blah, 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 blah. We can't get stuck in the past. This one thing I do, whether it's good or bad, the past, God's got a wonderful future for us. And so I just thought it was important, uh, for me anyway, to share that with you uh, because um, I don't think the past should define or put limits on our future. Sometimes something traumatic happens to us and we're sort of frozen in our tracks, right? And we just have a hard time moving it's like that period of time in my recent past where i just like couldn't engage i couldn't move just in a fog you know um and so we have to ask the lord to help us in all of that and you know um we certainly uh uh can learn from our past right one of, one of the things that uh paul says in, in ephesians he says you know what you and i are the workmanship of God. You, ever, you remember reading that passage? You and I are the workmanship of God. If, if somebody calls you a piece of work, say, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you are right. A lot of thought from God has gone into making me who I am. God chose your parents. God chose various experiences. He allows in and out of your life. He surrounds you with certain people and so on and so forth. God has put a lot of effort to get us to where we're at today. And that passage of scripture says, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. Do you realize God's got a future for each of us? Between now and the time we die, God's got good works, which he's prepared and he's orchestrated and built into us exactly what we need to be able to do our part in his kingdom, and to be able to actually, you know, uh, grab hold, press into the future. I want to know, God, what is your plan for me? What, what is the good work that you have for me? And I'm going to give myself to it, and I'm going to trust you to give me what I need, uh, to continue to give me what I need, in order that I might do my part in the kingdom of God. It's such a uh, great verse to understand that no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, don't check out, don't Use the past, just forget the past 
and focus on the future and ask God, what is that good work that you have for me to do? What's your passion for ministry? What do you wish God would do different? And offer yourself as a servant uh, to be able to do that thing. Ultimately, Paul says, I press on for the prize, the upward call of God. Uh, And it's good to recognize the prize of Christianity starts here, but it's not found in this life, but in the life to come. So, just so that you don't forget this passage of Scripture in Philippians 3, this one thing I do. Here's what you could do on your way out of church today. As you get in your car, okay, and you sit there, look at the size of your windshield and how big it is so that you can see forward. And then look at the size of your rear view mirror and see how small it is so that you can glaze back there and you can see what it offers to contribute in order for you to move forward. But is your focus mainly in the rearview mirror? Or is it in the big future that God has prepared for us in advance? It's already set. He's already got a plan. But it's in the future. God's will for your life is in your future. Psalm 63.3 says this. Your love, O God, is better than life itself. Your love, oh God, is better than life itself. Now, I love life. Life is great. But there's something better than life itself, and it's the love of God. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pause here, and uh, we're so thankful that you're a speaking God, and that you're a loving God, and that you love first, and that you speak first, and that we, Father, can entrust ourselves to you as your children, you as our Heavenly Father, and that we can experience, Father, that love in our lives. And I thank you for the instruction of the Apostle Paul here that uh, encourages us to think about the future. And it's harder than to just live in the past. And so many of us just don't think about it too much. But when we do think and realize that you have a part for us to play, all of us, no matter who we are, you've invested all kinds of workmanship to make us who we are. None of us are perfect, like the Apostle Paul. We haven't uh, attained what uh, Christ-likeness yet, but we're moving toward it. And with each experience that you allow into our lives, I pray that you would help us to submit in order that we might understand, in order that we might apply our convictions, Father, to our everyday living so that Jesus can have freedom to live through us by your Spirit's power in Jesus' name. Amen.